welcome back to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo, and I'm Demetrius Malbro, and today I am joined by the founder and chief marketing officer at Cerebite. We're joined by Martin Kunse, and he is going to wow us around the technology that they have and also give us more information around better ways of getting more efficiency out of storing your data and also protecting your data as well. So Martin, I'll, I'll let you come on and, and tell the Gumbo listeners a little more about yourself and also about Cerebite as well. My actual background is artist, and this is funny for, for many people, but an artist started a, a technological disrupting technology. Well, I'm not only Ceramist, I'm also what we say a silicon silicate technologist. So that's that's more about the general ceramic materials from clay in the ground to, to glass and high-tech ceramic. So that's my, my technological background. But I'm interested in many things and and this is why I came to this topic of the question what will be left from our era and eventually come to this idea to store information on ceramic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. T tell us about that idea. And I, I know the conversation was around, hey, wh what can we do that's wild and crazy beyond what the normal and regular companies have been doing, storing data on tape and disk drives and CDs and, and all other different types of format. And I've even heard that they're even storing data on DNA as well. But how did the idea come about in order to store data on, on ceramic? Ceramic itself as, as material, it's a, it's a very old material, which we humans use, well, since our beginnings to have a material for free shaping of forms. But it's also a material where the first easy-to-use data carriers or information carriers were produced when you think of the cuneiform tablets from the Babylonians. And they have a, let's say, track record of 5,000 years. You can still read them. It's not like hieroglyphs chiseled into stone. You can very easily write into wet clay and then dry it and fire it so it becomes very durable. So the actually the idea to use ceramic is nothing new. So, well, that's that's obvious some, somehow when you're working in this material and thinking about the long-term data st storage. But to use ceramic or more modern ceramic or, or contemporary methods of ceramic or high-tech ceramics, then you can produce data carriers who will certainly live much longer than 5,000 years. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating. So what is it, cuneiforms and the whole hieroglyph things and back in the Babylonian times and the way they actual chiseled information and even maybe the, I think of the Dead Sea Scrolls also as well, but maybe I am going a little too far with it, but I really want to understand the approach that you take, and, and I know it's a, a holistic approach, and also how you decided to link the ceramic nano memory with data protection and, and, and using that platform in order to, to store data on it. Yeah. 
Well, as I mentioned, as an as an artist, you you ask many questions, and one of these questions was, "What will survive from the digital age?" And it was 10, 15 years ago when mm-hmm. everyone stored still on on DVD or USB sticks, and and it was at that time still a, a, a hard discussion to convince people that nothing will stay from the digital age in 100 years or 500 years from our time. Now it's even worse, I think, in the cloud, uh, where the cloud is, uh, where the, the picture of the cloud is, is fascinating. It's, it's, I think there is nothing more ephemeral than a cloud. So probably the things stored in a cloud will not survive 50 years. Well, however, this made me think of what will what will stay from our ear and and especially why is this important in the first place it's not that we we are the best well civilization on, on the peak of civilization we need to pass it on our all knowledge and the whole wikipedia it's rather a different thought it's well triggered by by a quote by wilhelm von humboldt which 200 mm-hmm. years ago said only those who know the past will have a future which means you need to know the past to understand your present and make meaningful decisions for the future. And the way we store today, mainly digitally, will probably make it impossible for coming generations to know the recent past. And when you think very simply on, let's say, climate climate data, if you don't uh, store them in a sustainable way, future generations will not be able to see the climate change, let alone measure it. So there are obviously some information we need to pass on to the next generation with some kind of obligation to do this. And mm-hmm. that let me start this project called Memory of Mankind, which is a crossover of art, science, technology, Memory of Mankind, or MOM in short, to store images and text which can be printed with a desktop printer with a ceramic toner onto high-quality bathroom tiles, fired it onto them, and store it in the oldest salt mine here in Austria, deep inside the mountain, to have a kind of snapshot of our era passing on to the future. Wow. So that yeah. was, was actually the start for using ceramics. And, but it was more the, 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 the need, I thought, uh, to pass something on. So this Memory of Mankind project is more a lighthouse pointing to the problem, offering a solution in the same way. And that was actually the start. And so what, what type of data, what kind of data are we talking that can be stored, I guess, on this technology that you have created here? Well, on these bathroom tiles, there is only text and images. Okay. And so that was easy, but it's, yeah. of course, not representative of our 21st century. It would be video and music and gaming and so on. So I started to develop data carriers, thinner materials, a different kind of engraving, starting to make CDs of silicate materials. And then that led actually to a research uh, program at a technical university in Vienna, where we applied for funds, which we are very grateful to, to receive them to start uh, researching on cer- very thin ceramic materials. Uh, and with femtosecond lasers, writing very small structures into it to present the proof of concepts possible to write high-density data carriers, which are very, very durable. So that was the first step into into technology. Okay. All right. 
So I, I imagine, is, is it similar to the way that like existing and even old tape drives that, you know, you have a robot, like a library, a big, huge couple frames, and you have a robot that's in there and the robot is actually grabbing a platter or a tape and it's mounting it somewhere and then it's starting to receive data and information and write, write that data. Yeah, that's how does that, how does that part work? of it, actually. So the technology is more just having thin ceramic or the glass or ceramic on glass foils, let's say. And they are thin like this protection foils, you know, from a mobile phones. So they are flexible. Mm-hmm. And there's a dark, thin ceramic layer. And we use this femtosecond laser, not a single laser beam. But we split it up and use a so-called digital micromirror device, which is usually used in, in projectors to project images of data matrices. We use now QR code because this is the simplest method. So we project images of QR codes through a microscope optics on this data carrier. So it's very, very tiny. And this is enough energy to create little holes into the dark ceramic layer. So simply said it could described as a ceramic punch card in nanoscale mm, so that's okay. really holes physical holes which are optically readable contactless and since it is physical and it needs a lot of energy to produce these holes it's on the same way of course very durable because to destroy information or destroy the distinction between zero and one, it takes some energy. And to create this distinction and to destroy it, it's the same energy level. And because of this fact, it's very, very durable. So the durability is, I don't know, 1,000, 100,000 of years, which is not mm-hmm. a use case. It's important to have something durable where you don't need climatization and cooling or or heating or it's... it's Water resistant, humidity doesn't doesn't matter. So it's a data wow. care you can store in the Arctic or in the desert, and that's the main use case actually. Data stays there forever, and then we come already to a very important point: you don't need migration and you don't need replacement of data. So that was when we started our our startup. We realized there is a big need outside for long-term data storage okay. because well the the digital age is is too young to have brought forth a a long-term data care that can keep data for for 100 years and and 100 years of data may sound kind of absurd but when you think of having your toddler video with a smartphone when he or she grows up and is adult wants to have this video and probably pass it on to his or her own kid uh, so that's already 100 years of, of retention time. Yeah. And Cerobyte is some kind of, of fixing this mismatch of, of actual required retention time of data of decades, maybe centuries, and the actual lifetime of media, which are only a few years. Okay. Which brings us, of course, to a, to a point where ecological considerations matter. Because replacing every three to five years electronic devices creates a lot of electronic waste, let alone the resource and consumption. By the way, it doesn't require energy to keep the data as well. So there is a huge 
saving of energy, not only for keeping the air, but also for keeping mm-hmm. the environment, like climatization. But what is more important to save resources and to to save, let's say, working time within the data centers where they have to migrate every every couple of years the data from one device to the other, or in tape libraries every let's say seven to ten years from one generation to the next, but one, which is quite a workload for a for a huge data center or for a scientific institution like the the CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, or Fermi mm-hmm. Institute. So the, there is an entire team only copying data because they need to copy or refresh the data from old tapes to new tapes. And yeah. the same point you have it written once and forever, virtually. Okay. And so a lot of things came to mind as you were speaking there, and one was compliance. So it seems like you're talking very long-term data retention, being able to store it for a very long time, regardless of what the current temperature is, very cold or even hot or humidity levels, et cetera. So it's very durable. And like how much data are we talking? Is it able to compact a a lot of data on one i I don't know what you're calling it a platter or whatever one sheet sheet and how fast is it able to do that does that take days or weeks and and what what type of data i know you said images and and maybe some video and audio right yeah so the the data can be any data since it is digital data it's, it's it's not analog it's Definitely, digital is binary data, and coded in in data matrices, and they are like a big stamper punched onto onto the surface. For our prototype, which we just finalized in in Germany, we used only off-the-shelf parts, commercial off-the-shelf parts, just to be quick and and present a a, a device which can write, store, retrieve, and read data. We did this already in data center rack size. So the footprint is actually well fitting into data centers. And with this constellation, we achieved to write megabytes per second and probably one gigabyte per sheet. So which is not much, of course. So, I mean, compared to other technologies at their start, right. let's say the first flash card you could buy had probably five megabyte. So we are starting at a complete different point. But our roadmap explains and suggests that we can go far beyond this. We are actually using what we call amortized semiconductor technology. So what Mm -hmm. we are using was developed 10, 15 years ago for the semiconductor industry. And we, we already now make this research to use electron beam and particle beam to get really down to, to structures where you can have eventually exabyte per rack. So it's it's will always be a, a, a business solution. And maybe you can envision in the future data centers or data storage centers, which are more factory than, than a conventional data center, where you have this production of data carriers that are stored in, in, in huge libraries 
with lots of reading devices. So the reading devices or the amount of reading devices depend on the retrieval rate, of course. Mm-hmm. And they are stored there. Maybe you have seen uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, there is one of the data so. centers and, and they have also glass. That was interesting for me because I love Blade Runner. It's one of the m- most important movies for me. But that yeah. was funny for me to see there is also this this archive where they have information on glass. So that's something what is on the roadmap, what is explainably feasible on the roadmap and where this technology will lead to. Also, mm-hmm. um, cost-wise, so it's, it's, it's possible to have $1 per terabyte in the future. So yeah. um, that's, that's going into this and... direction. And the material itself is... It's very cheap and produced already now in, in hundreds of square kilometers per year for displays and mm-hmm. yeah, protection and so, for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is something that'll be, it's not quite prime time yet. It's not fully ready yet, right? Or No, 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 no. So not especially not for this huge data center. So what we okay. do now is to, to approach like archives. Okay. Where we have probably only one to ten petabyte per system. So this is national archives. This is interesting for them. It's not at all for for hyperscalers like Google or AWS. Mm-hmm. For sure not. Right. And well, we permanently improve, and and luckily we still have a good relation with the technical university in Vienna, and they are, they are very engaged to to make. The research uh, on this material, this technology, to get smaller structures, which increases, of course, the capacity and also increase the writing speed, which theoretically could be gigabytes per second and, and retrieval rates from a library within seconds because you don't have a, a tape which you have to spool until where you are you want to read, but you can immediately have a stack, open the stack and read that uh, sheet you want to read. And the reading is done with, with the same microscope optics and with high-speed image sensors. So we use the, the fastest image sensors for our prototype to get, make the reading. And there are these this levers. So there are, there are some knobs we can turn. For example, we are using now a high-speed image sensor from cameras, which is, of course, a color image sensor with a 16-bit color depth. We don't... Yeah need that we need monochrome sensors with maybe three bits that would be enough and this was the last time developed when fax machines were built but it's not inventing the, the wheel new to create a monochrome image sensor so that's that's calculable yeah <clears throat> and that I... would increase the reading speed tremendously if you don't have this four color or three color 16-bit images, which are per image gigabytes, and then to calculate it down to to extract the QR code from that image. But this Mm is on to that we say we just used commercial off-the-shelf parts to to present this. Yeah, and maybe maybe one more question here. And I was, in my research, I was looking at, you know, I just searched up Cerebite and I'm seeing... Did, did you hear about this Yottabyte, Y-O-T-T-A? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like largest unit approved. And I mean, is, is that is that accurate? Is that something that you, I don't even know what a Yottabyte is. It's like a ridiculous number. Yeah, right? it's 1,000 setabyte is a Yottabyte. Yeah. So that's from the setabyte era. 
into the Yotabyte era, which will probably start in five to 10 years, where we mm. have a Yotabyte of, of information stored on the planet. I mean, that's that's ridiculous amount, so that's, unimaginable. It's a I quantity. once made some, some funny calculations. When you just, just take all the books in all libraries 300 years ago in the world, and it took 1,000 years to collect all this content from, from the first uh, medieval library to the library of the 18th century. And today, when you say one book is one megabyte, 400 pages text is one megabyte. So you can somehow calculate this and say, today, to create the same amount of information, it takes us only hundreds of a second. This just demonstrates how fast we are producing information. Right. Hmm? Yeah, it says... It's equivalent to a quadrillion gigabytes <laughs> or a million trillion megabytes. That is ridiculous. And I, I guess it's it's saying something about that you, you are ushering in this type of ability yeah. right, to be able so to that's store. That's an interesting discussion. Where does data storage get to and why? Why into this Yotabyte? Of course, it's mm -hmm. the high resolution or even high resolutions of, of mobile phone cameras. And, and these modern cameras don't take one shoot, but they take three shoots to, to enable you this after processing. So it's already while shooting raw data is, is huge. And, yeah. and this raw data is, is stored. And that's one driver of the data explosion. The other is certainly AI, when AI assists mm -hmm. creative processes. I mean, AI itself doesn't doesn't uh, save its, its outcomes, I think, I hope. <laughs> but let's say AI enables you to, to make movies and story plays so everyone can produce movies. So there will be possibilities like, like graphic programs, video programs, just to create videos and, and create a storyline and, and the AI makes it. This, this video certainly will be, will be saved and distributed. And this will increase the amount of data which is created. And the other thing is, which is probably not so much thought through, since AI is, is involved in decision processes from IoT to, let's say, pilotless planes. And imagine the first case in court when there's the first trial where a company cannot demonstrate how this how the AI made decision that proved fatal. Yeah. And from that point, every company using AI for decision processes will keep the, the, the of decision process for decades. And wow. I think that will create a huge amount of data. Well, that's yeah. that's how it, it goes. And and this huge amount of data need to be stored somewhere. And interestingly, there is no no real plan when when you think of AI, you usually think of high-performing processors, but not of, mm -hmm. of, of cheap, easily available storage space. Right, right. And what we've we've seen in in the in the discussion in the in the in the community of storage data storage industry, it's neither SSD nor HDD that can develop in such scales to provide this very low-cost. Uh, storage space. And I'm, I'm looking at something now, and, and we're going to begin to wrap up here. It's revolutionary data storage holds every movie ever made mm -hmm. in a palm-sized device. 
did you did you read that one, Anthony? Anthony? Uh, it's, it's which technology? Well, it's saying that that is German startup Cerebite unveiled. Well, that was that was funny. <laughs> That's absolutely not true. So that was some journalist mixed it up a bit. Okay. And it was from an abstract from the storage developer conference mm-hmm. where there were two separate sentences and this journalist took the, the period and connected two sentences, which was yeah. interesting for us to see this. And I asked him to correct this, which he did. But there were a lot of, of, of tech platforms just copying this from, from his what interesting for us to see who is copying from whom. Right. <laughs> so there, there was the in this original article. There is now the the, the the right numbers, but these are just spooking in the internet. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do appreciate you taking time out out of, out of your day or night. I, I know we're we're in like completely different time zones. So thank oh, you for. Care for being a guest on the show here. And before I let you go as well, Martin, is that I want to let the audience know once again, go ahead. If if you like the episode, click that, that thumbs up button. And then also uh, subscribe to the channel and hit that little bell notification. So every time we upload a video, you will be notified and also join our LinkedIn group, which it's called Backup and Recovery Professionals. We have almost 25,000 backup storage cybersecurity experts, uh, all like myself, uh, on and in that particular group having conversations such as the ones that we are having right here on, on Data Protection Gumbo. So Martin, once again, thank you for being a guest and any final information or details that you would like to share with the guests before we end here. Well, thank you first for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, to the audience, uh, just browse our website. You will find uh, a handful of very short videos explaining Cerebite from different perspectives, which I'm happy if you have the chance to see them and mm-hmm. probably comment them. And you can also contact us, of course. Well, thank you again. And to everyone that's watching and listening from all around the world, thank you for tuning in to Data Protection Gumbo. And make sure you keep that data safe and you stay secure.